You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who mistreat you so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For God causes his Son to rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love people who love you, what reward will you have? Don't even the worst people on earth do that? If you greet only your brothers and sisters, what are you doing out of the ordinary? Don't even terrorists do that? Become people of love as your heavenly Father is a person of love. And that's Jesus' words in Matthews 5, 43 through 48. For the last six, wait, six weeks, I can say basic words, um, we've been talking about becoming people of love. That's what we've been reading about and thinking about and talking about for six weeks now as we go through Ephesians 5 and 6. And now in our final message, we're going to talk about the very pinnacle of love, loving our enemy. This is the ultimate litmus test of whether or not we've become people of love. Can we love our enemy? Now, if you're like me, you probably have some enemies. Some because you've done some things that cause people to be your enemy. But sometimes we have enemies even despite doing the right thing. Uh, Charles McKay, the 19th century Scottish poet, says, if you have no enemies, that's nothing to boast of because that means you haven't done anything of note and you haven't called out any traitors or condemned any lies. You've never turned wrong to right. Having no enemies is admitting that you're a coward and have never stood up to anyone. Um, sometimes we have enemies because we've done things wrong. Sometimes we have enemies because we did the right things. And I have some people in my life, in my story, who should have been for me, and they weren't. They should have had my back, and instead they stabbed me in the back. There were people I relied on and I trusted, and yet they let me down and they turned against me. And man, just thinking about them right now gets me a little bit angry, right? Something inside of me wants to roar to life and be like, yeah, those people. Um, just thinking about their names. Sometimes I'll hear somebody else named with the same name. I'm like, I hate that name. You know some names like that, right? You're like, whenever you hear that name, you're like, oh, that reminds me of this other person. And right now you have names and faces racing through your head from your story where people have disappointed you or betrayed you or hurt you or hurt people that you love. And I'm so sorry that I just conjured those faces and names up in your mind by mentioning enemies. But if we're going to become people of love, we have to talk about this because Jesus told us to love our enemies. And the pinnacle of becoming a person of love is loving the person that you'd rather hate. And so as we close out our series, that's what we're talking about today. If we're going to become students of how Jesus lived and loved, if we're going to become people of love, we must learn to somehow love our enemies. Love wants people to become the best version of themselves. I think sometimes we're like, well, I'm kind. Isn't that good enough? Kindness is great, but love goes even farther than kindness. We're kind to a stranger, but Jesus wants us to love our enemy, the person that we know and the person that we know behaves and treats us poorly. Hate wants people to be hurt, but love wants people to become the best version of themselves. Hate says an eye for an eye. You hurt me, I want you to be hurt. But love longs to see eyes healed and hearts changed. Now, love doesn't mean that evil doesn't have consequences. 
It's not just like, well, everything's fine, because that's not wishing for the best version of someone, just letting them off the hook all the time and never uh, having consequences for what they do. But it hopes for good to stand in the place that evil does right now. It doesn't think evil can be overcome with more evil, but only with more good. Now, when Jesus taught his primer on what kingdom people would look like, it wasn't some theoretical classroom environment where he was formulating his ideas. This passage we read is from the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, this is what it looks like to live with me as your king. And uh, this isn't just him in some philosophy class, like some big college or university saying, you know what, this seems like a good way to live. You know, this is what I'm going to describe to people. He, his nation was under the boot of Rome. Roman soldiers, Roman taxes, and Roman executions were everywhere. Jesus, his entire life, saw crucifixions along the roads as he was walking uh, to, to the synagogue school or from a job or to a job or from home to um, a, a festival. Constant reminders of the oppressive tyranny of the empire. And so when Jesus said enemy, they weren't like, well, there was that one person who was kind of mean to me in school, or, you know, there was that coworker who kind of took the position that I wanted, or there was that corrupt spouse of mine, or, you know, there was that power-hungry boss that I had, or that two-faced politician. I mean, they didn't have to look real hard. All they did was have to look to their left or to their right, down the street, and they saw the Roman banners and soldiers all around them. The symbol of the empire that had struck down their families and taken their lands and burned their shops and crucified their sons and raped their daughters was everywhere. And so when Jesus says, love your enemies, he's not like, you know that person who was your friend and then turned on your back and posted all that stuff about you online. No, he's talking about the people who burned your family's shop, who beat you, who took, crucified your son on the street so that you would have to see his body decay every day as you walked into town. Those are the enemies that Jesus is talking about. And so first century Israel was a powder keg waiting for a spark. Um, you know, I don't think Jesus would have been crucified if he had stood up and he said, instead of love your enemies, if he had said down with Rome. I think the people probably would have rallied around him and he wouldn't have been killed. Saying love your enemies was much more dangerous and cost him his life. The people wanted someone to lead them in a revolt and Jesus did want to do that, just not the revolt they were expecting. See, Jesus wanted to revolt against the dark spiritual forces behind the Roman Empire, the same spiritual forces behind the Jewish zealots who lured Roman soldiers into traps and cut their throats. He saw the same dark empowerment between both the Jewish zealots and the Roman occupation. He wanted to overthrow devils and demons by uniting humanity in love. What the Bible teaches is that People of love topple unseen cosmic strongholds of darkness when they choose to love their enemies instead of hate their enemies, when they choose to shake a hand instead of stab a back. We can't shoot our way to spiritual victory. We can't blast or bomb our way. We can only love our way there. Now, if you say, Alex, this all seems a little weird. This seems a little strange. Let's look how Apostle Paul put it in our final passage here in Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 20. Here's what Paul says. Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his great strength. Put on the full armor of God so you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heaven. 
For this reason, you need to take up the full armor of God so that you're able to resist in the evil day and having prepared everything to take your stand and stand, therefore, with truth like a belt around your waist, doing what is right like armor on your chest with your feet sandaled, always ready to run towards peace. And in every situation, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation. Take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Pray at all times in the spirit with every prayer and request. Stay alert with perseverance and intercession for all the saints. Pray also for me that the message may be given to me when I open my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the good news of the kingdom of God. For I am an ambassador of the kingdom of God in chains. Pray that I may be bold enough to speak about it as I should. Did you notice verse 12? What do you say? The big problem is our adversary is Rome, right? That's what he says in verse 12. Man, we need to take down Rome. No. He says our struggle is not against flesh and blood. The Roman soldiers, that's not our enemy. The Jewish authorities, not our enemy. The, uh, the pagan worshipers in the, the temples in the cities of Ephesus, that's not your enemy. Our struggle is not against conservatives or liberals, against black or white, against America or the world. The people who oppose Christian beliefs and values aren't our enemies. The people who don't think like us or look like us or act like us aren't our enemies. If your faith causes you to hate someone who disagrees with you, you're doing it wrong. Because that's not the message of Jesus. Our struggle is against rulers and authorities and cosmic powers in the darkness. Yes, there can be powerful nations and systems that are empowered by these forces. But the people on the opposite side of an issue from you aren't your enemies. They are your fellow human beings made in the image of God, loved by God. They are our allies in a war with dark forces beyond our ability to perceive or comprehend. And what Paul says here is the forces of darkness, this is their objective, this is their goal. They want to destroy your relationship with God. They want to destroy your relationship with your spouse. They want to destroy the relationship with your parents. They want to destroy your relationship with your friends. They want to destroy your relationship with the church. The devil has schemes and he has strategies, but they're all around this one thing, to get you to become a person of hate and not a person of love by isolating you and alienating you from human community. Instead of seeing your fellow human as an ally, as a person made in the image of God, to begin to see them as the enemy. The devil's number one goal is not to do spooky stuff. It's not to stack chairs, you know, like, have you seen those ghost hunter shows? And they walk into a room and they're like, this is classic chair stacking right here. There's some ghost phenomenon going. That's not the devil's number one priority, okay? He's not out there like, we need to mobilize some forces to stack chairs in the old haunted McAllister house. Like, that's not what the devil is spending his time doing. His goal isn't even to get you to do bad stuff. That's not his top priority. His top priority is to get us destroying our relationships instead of fighting for our relationships. And if the devil is scheming to destroy our relationships, we need to be fighting for our relationships with other human beings. There are dark spiritual forces at work in our world that want us fighting each other instead of fighting them. Dark spiritual forces that want the strong to oppress the weak and then the weak to devour the strong. Jesus suggests something else entirely, a new paradigm for life, a different way of looking at the world. He suggests that we love each other. By loving each other, we disarm the dark forces in our world. We dismantle the kingdom of darkness, and we build the kingdom of God. 
when you love your enemy that you really want to hate, somehow that is taking apart the kingdom of darkness and building the kingdom of God. So how do we do it? How do you love people who hate you? How do you love people who hurt you? How do you love people who hurt those that you love? How do you love people who are so different than you, it makes you afraid? How do you end up loving someone that you'd rather hate? In verse 10, Paul makes it very clear. He says, we need supernatural strength to wage spiritual warfare and to wage the war wielding love in our relationships. We need the love of God in us flowing through us. See, loving your enemies just isn't, isn't just hard. It's impossible without divine aid. It's impossible without divine love first touching your soul. See, people of love don't have to psych themselves up to love an enemy. They're like, I love my neighbor, but that enemy, you know, got to get pumped up, listen to that worship jam, you know, like, okay, I'm going to love him. I'm going to love him this day. People of love have become love, and so supernatural love is their natural response. They've gotten so used to having God's love flow through them that they don't cut it off when they come to an enemy. My inability to love my enemy usually reveals that in a lot of easier relationships, I'm not being very loving already. I find that if I am loving my neighbor and I'm loving my spouse and I'm loving my coworkers and all these relationships that we've talked about, I'm loving my family, when it comes to my enemy, I've become such a person of love that it just seems reasonable and natural to love them too. Our inability to love our enemies is a revelation that we haven't fully become people of love yet. The ultimate litmus test of whether or not you become a person of love is, can I love my enemy? Can I love that person who's against me, against what I believe in, against the people that I care about? If we haven't become people of love yet, we don't need to be like, oh, man, I'm the worst. I'm such a garbage person. But we need to realize that we still have inner work to do in collaboration with Jesus. Victories in the unseen cosmic realm are won and lost based on how we love our fellow human beings. That's how battles are won and lost in the spiritual world. Now, as an educated modern Westerner, that sounds so weird. Like, just be honest. Like, if you haven't been around church, um, that sounds so weird. It sounds a bit outlandish or even downright insane, invisible evil forces, spiritual strongholds that are dismantled by humans loving each other. It sounds ridiculous. It sounds like a fairy tale. Um, I get that. I wrestle with that. But according to the Bible, this is a real reality that is at work beyond our world, constantly touching and impacting our world. Um, to borrow from G.K. Chesterton, fairy tales are true not because they tell us dragons are real, but because they tell us dragons can be defeated. For thousands of years, Christianity has held that we are at war with an unseen enemy, an enemy that holds the keys to this present kingdom, an enemy who rules the kingdom of death. Sickness and war and famine and violence are the laws of the land ruled by the darkness, but into this dark kingdom came the rightful king, where the darkness celebrated pomp, he was born into a barn, where the darkness celebrated power, he taught peace. Where the darkness killed him, he came back to life. Where the darkness rolled with violence, the rightful king rules with love. 
and he came to teach people to become citizens of his coming kingdom, a kingdom more powerful than the kingdom of death, but not powerful because it was more violent or had more bombs or more guns. Not because it was more destructive, more destructive, more powerful because it was a kingdom of love made up of people of love ruled by a king of love. And love will ultimately conquer the darkness. Places of great hate can only be undone by becoming places of great love. Great acts of hate must be overcome by great acts of love. See, Jesus' plan isn't to just burn this planet up and be like, I'm done with humans. What a wasted couple thousand, ten thousand, million years, whatever. What a wasted allotment of time. You know, let's get on to bigger and better things. It's to transform. His plan is to transform this world and these people into the kingdom and into the people that he's always wanted. His plan isn't to waste us and make a new people, but to transform us into people who can live under his good rule. Now, this passage, how I usually heard it, was like in a youth group, and people got all jazzed up and brought in swords and weapons. And I thought about doing that just because I love swords, and any excuse to walk around with a sword makes me happy. Um, but I really, wanted to, I really wanted to critique some of that, and I was like, if I bring in a sword, I'm actually leaning into that, and so I need to not do it. So I resisted the great temptation to bring in a sword today. Um, despite the sermons and books and series I've heard on this passage, though, Paul isn't describing some spiritual weapons that we need to somehow conjure or like each morning I've got to like put on this armor to equip myself for the day. He's letting his readers know that they don't need to revolt against Rome to defeat Rome, that Rome won't be conquered with spears and swords that they can see. Rome will only be conquered by love. In Ephesians 5 and 6, Paul has been talking about relationships. He talked about our relationship with God. He talked about our relationships in marriage. He talked about our relationships in the family. He talked about our relationships as co-workers and as neighbors. And then we get to uh, the last part of Ephesians 6, and people are like, okay, now he's talking about something completely different. No, I think he's talking about relationships still. He's continuing to talk about relationships as he discusses how to have healthy relationships with our enemies. Now, the point here is not to draw all kinds of spiritual principles on how to resist demons with unseen armor. The point is that the battles that shift the balance of power in the spiritual world will be fought with unseen enemies, not with the weapons that make our human brothers and sisters bleed. What's going to win spiritual war is not going out and killing humans or fighting humans. Rome didn't fall because Christians took up arms and killed their oppressors. By 300 AD, Christianity had grown so rapidly through the Roman Empire that the emperor himself converted. Historians believe the biggest turning point that moved the empire to embrace the sect of Judaism that they had persecuted relentlessly was an event that happened in the second century, the Antonine Plague. It killed off a quarter of the people in the empire. A quarter of the people, millions of people died from this plague. They're not quite sure what the sickness was, but historical descriptions sounded a lot like Ebola or possibly smallpox. And they believe that some um, soldiers who had traveled to the east had brought the sickness back and it spread throughout the empire. But Christians taking Jesus's kingdom teaching to love others cared for their sick and dying neighbors, the very same neighbors who had persecuted them or had their friends and family executed. Rodney Stark, a historian, notes that the death rates in cities with large Christian communities was half that of Roman cities, of other Roman cities. 
By Christians caring for the sick and dying, not only did they rescue people who were sick and dying, but they changed the way the entire empire saw them, and they defeated the empire from the inside out. In a culture where everyone was trying to save themselves, Christians acted to save everyone but themselves, and this act of love toppled the greatest empire the world had ever seen. Not weapons, not bombs. Um, I like to think of, you know, uh, an escalation of violence is a lot like dealing with my dog. Um, he's, a, he's a ferocious eight-pound Havanese and Poodle mix, and, I mean, he's a killer. And, uh, yeah, I've got a couple marks in my hand. He's, he's beloved until he gets something that he shouldn't have, and then he's like, I will guard this to the end of my life. I will fight you, claw, tooth, and nail, you know, like I'm never letting go of this. And uh, the trainer was like, you know, get a little physical with him. Like, you're not going to hurt him. You know, just get a little physical with him, and he'll know who's boss. So I, like, hold him down. I'm like, I'm 200 and something pounds, and you're eight pounds. I can take you, you know? And I'm holding him down, and he's like, oh, we're going there? So he takes it to the next level, you know? And I'm like, okay, well, I'll take it to the next level. You are going to respect me, dog. And then he's like, now I'm going wild. I'm going to destroy everything in this house. You know, and it doesn't get any better. I think sometimes we think if we fought back hard enough, we could defeat the things that are against us. We could defeat the people that are against us. And Jesus said there's a different way. Love is going to defeat things that violence never will. Love is going to change people that violence never will. Love is going to win battles that hate never will. Your enemy is not the person you can see. They might be a pawn, but they aren't the enemy. Humanity has one enemy, and that enemy is a great darkness that wins when we fight each other instead of fighting it. The enemy loses when we love those that everything in us wants to call enemy. Everything in us wants to fight and complain about and call names and treat us less than human. Don't let the darkness win. People of love change the course of history, not with bombs or guns or violence or hate, not with name-calling or attacks, but with love. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this letter to the book of Ephesians. Thank you for the challenge it's been to my own life as I realize I still have so far to go to become a person of love, but I want to live and love like you, Jesus. I want to model my life on your behaviors and practices so that I have the spiritual strength to love those that I don't only, not only don't like, but I downright hate sometimes. Help me to love the people that it's so much easier to hate. Help me to remember how much you've loved me when I should have been hated by you. You chose to love me and to go to the cross and die for me. God, may that love flow through me as I encounter people who are difficult and then some people who are downright against me. 